This is a case from the Shoyodoku. Yudman's Pillars. The introduction. The unique dynamic of transcendence cranes souls into the sky. The unique road of direct confrontation with reality, a falcon passes the next country. Even if your eyes are like comets, you still don't avoid your mouth being bent down like a carrying pole. But tell me, what doctrine is this? The case. Yunman said, the ancient Buddhas are merged with the open pillars. What level of activity is this? The assembly was speechless. So Yunman himself said to them, on South Mountain, raising clouds, on North Mountain, falling rain. The verse. One path of spiritual light has never been concealed from the first. Transcending perception and objects, it is affirmed without affirmation. Going beyond common sense thought, it's adequate without adequacy. The scattered flowers on the cliff in the beehives become honey. The richness of wild grasses in the mask deer, they make perfume. According with kind, three feet or 10 and six. Clearly, Whatever you touch is brilliantly magnificent. And the Buddha said that life is dukkha, which is the, it's a Sanskrit word that is often translated as suffering. But the word suffering is, is somewhat problematic for us. It may not always get to the heart of the matter on a personal level. And we all agree that there's a lot of suffering in the world. But for many people, especially in affluent countries like this one, suffering happens somewhere else other parts of the world, other parts of the country, maybe. And it is primarily encountered by watching the news on television or reading newspaper. And when we watch it on the television, maybe we can relate, but we could take the remote and switch it off. Right? So we can, okay, now I'm going to see what's going on. Now I'm done. Switch it off, go back to whatever I was doing before. Where is it? Where does it go? Where does it come from? How do we meet that? But there is also another kind of suffering that is more subtle, cannot be turned off. And that one is directly connected to the global and more overt suffering we witness in the world. Now, this is the type of suffering that hits home even when things on the surface seem to be just fine. And it is intimately experienced by every human being. There's an underlying sense of misalignment, alienation, dissatisfaction, restlessness. And it's just plain unhappiness. And it's there whether we get what we want or lose it all. And this is what the Buddha referred to when he said life is dukkha. And this dukkha is, is universal in its manifestation and it spans over cultures, time, colors, race, borders or any other divisions we create. In fact, this dukkha knows no divisions. 
examples of madness we witness in our country and in the world are symptoms of this malady that each of us experience on a personal level. And, and the point, the whole point of spiritual practice actually is to address it wholeheartedly and personally examine the root causes of this malady. To examine it instead of externalizing it, instead of convincing ourselves that it is somewhere else and it is about someone else or something else. Right? And we externalize it as it naturally happens when we hear about a guy who walks into a synagogue and shoots 11 people in cold blood. Right? Of course, we externalize it. And, and mentally, this guy is actually considered sane. Sane, yet blinded by, by anger, hatred, discrimination. Or blinded. That's the point, right? To be blinded by something. And because of his blindness, because he was so blinded by what he was feeling, he was able to do what most of us cannot even comprehend. And how is that possible, we ask? How can somebody do this? Now we may think this is not what we're about. This is not what human beings are about. And it's true. It's not what we are. It's not what we're about. Because we're not about anything and we're not something. Because we're not fixed. But it is also true that we have the capacity to act in this way as human beings, obviously. <coughs> Not just by looking at what happened last weekend, but looking elsewhere, looking at our history. Obviously, the capacity is there. And the capacity is not of other people, as we would like to <coughs> believe. Because essentially we are nothing. We are not the good guys and we are not the bad guys. We only possess the capacity to cause great harm and the capacity to do great good. We possess the capacity to act in different ways. And all of it begins with a single unobserved thought, a single unobserved emotion, a single unobserved reading or listening to something or someone. And something gets triggered, something that was there, is there. It's just dormant. It gets triggered. And if that is unobserved, then often what happens is the following thoughts and emotions are also unobserved. And it picks up momentum. And it becomes that. It snowballs out of control and becomes the operator of what I call me. And it is taking over to such an extent that what I call me walks over to the closet, picks up a gun, walks out and shoots somebody. Completely blinded by Intense emotion, intense thoughts. A 
And any, any uh, serious spiritual exploration has to begin with a recognition or the recognition that we have, we possess all capacities. We, we again is me. It's not, well, we globally, but me is a different story. No, we're not. Because we are me. And if it happens there, it happens here. And we cannot switch it off. And we cannot point a finger at someone or something that is different. I mean, is there anybody who doesn't experience different kinds of emotions throughout the day? Some of them are intense, some less intense. Anybody that does not encounter discriminating thoughts or formation of mental constructs that are built on judgmental thinking. Is there anyone that doesn't encounter that? Not just here in this room, but on this planet. Everybody does. Practitioners and non-practitioners alike. We all do without exceptions. And, of course, to varying degrees of intensity. But as long as we are willing to examine those tendencies, those energies, and then take the responsibility to work with them, subdue them, then the likelihood that they will take over is greatly reduced. And this is what we do. This is the practice. First, to begin by recognizing that we've got it all. The whole spectrum. Great madness and incredible wisdom. All there. As potential. As capacity. And we take the time to sit down so we can actually get in touch with that, so we can actually recognize the, the movement of those energies. How do they operate? At what point does a thought become a word? And at what point does a word become an action? Where does it happen? How does it happen? That's what we look at. We don't sit with an assumption that we are the good guys because we sit. We're not. Anything. We sit so we can recognize that we are not anything, yet while we're not anything, we can cause great harm. It all begins with one thought unobserved thought. And the simple instruction to sit down, shut up for a while, is brilliant. Brilliant. Because it gives us the opportunity to get in touch and develop the clarity to discern before a knee-jerk reaction happens. course, you know, somebody's telling us, sit down. Well, I don't want to sit down now. I want to sit down later. I don't want to do this. I want to do that. And that's what happens in, in Sashin and Zazenkai. And again, it's brilliant, not because I'm trying to sell the practice. That's not what we do, obviously, right? It's brilliant because it's not about Zen. It's just about, let's agree that we are all going to go into a, an intensified training period, be it one day or four days or five days or whatever it is. Let's agree we're all going to go in there for the purpose of recognition, of seeing clearly. Not doing anything about it, but just seeing clearly what's going on. So we are instructed in Sashin, for example, 
to move around, right? We move around between activities without looking at each other, without meeting, making eye contact with each other. And then superficially, obviously, it seems a strange instruction, maybe cold, uncaring. Don't we love each other? Don't we want to give each other a hug every time we see each other? What's the point, right? But to take the time to, to, to create an intensive training period, to actually create that, we have to do this. We have to walk into that knowing that we're going to use every second for the sake of that exploration. Why? Because it's urgent, because it's absolutely imperative. Seeing the state of this world, the state of this country, it's absolutely imperative that we take the time to look, to examine how do those things happen. How do we do this? So we, we, we decide to observe impulses. And how do those impulses arise? Well, you look at instructions. He says, don't do this, but I want to do that. I want to do it. Although maybe a minute before I read this instruction or heard the instruction, I didn't care whether I do this or that. But it's telling me to do this and I want to do that. And that by itself is not a problem because, well, not even that. It's just it's a natural reaction. Of course, there's something in me that is going to resist that. Primarily because it is said to me by someone else or I read it somewhere. And I don't like it. I have an opinion. So the question is, is there another way to work with that energy that's arising and wants to say, no, I'm not going to do this? Is there another way to work with it? What happens if I do it? Or maybe what is gained if I say no and I don't do this? And what is lost if I say, okay, I'll do it. No problem. Sure. Done. Go sit down. Okay. Go sit down. No. I'm going to go over there now. Because it's better for me. And it's not that there is an organization that knows better than me. That's not the point. It's not that I need to obey because, you know, because I don't know what I'm talking about. It's not there to put it this way. It's there to take care of something, but it's not there to oppose something. If that makes sense. And you know, it, it seems cold and uncaring when we don't, perhaps, don't look at each other as we pass by, right, in the hallways of the monastery, or even here. It seems this way. But in reality, it's actually quite the opposite, because it frees us to care much deeper. It frees us from our own impulses and from our own judgment to care without judging. It's the only way to care. To transcend our judgmental way of being. Actually, when we do that, all that's left is caring. Because the walls begin to come down. The divisions begin to become more blurry. then we don't even have to talk about caring. Obviously, we care. Obviously, we're going to express it. That's why this is called training. We have to take the time to train.
And there are many aspects of Zen training that will, will trigger a sense of aversion and resistance in us. And so we have to learn to work with that and examine really important questions. Well, what is the source of the aversion? Is it, does it reside in what I am reacting to or is it in that who is reacting? Because I can very easily say, I don't like this. So I chuck it. Gone. But does that take care of the aversion? That's how we have to, we have to practice. That's how we have to examine. So let's say I, I do something and I say, well, it's not my thing. I'm going to quit, do something else. What happens when I do that? Do I learn anything? Because sooner or later, because if I don't examine, sooner or later, I will be triggered, this will be triggered again, and the aversion will arise again. And then what? Yeah, then I can say, well, I'm going to do something else. Because that's not my thing either. Because nothing is my thing. Which is great. That's the good news. Nothing is my thing. It frees me to do anything at any time. Because nothing is my thing. And if I, if I ask who is reacting, of course I'm going to say, well, it's me who is resisting, right? I'm reacting. And if I'm saying, I don't want this, what is it that I ultimately want? What do I want? Is there a point that that me, that I, gets everything it wants and is satisfied because it got what it wanted? Is there such a time? Is there such a place? Such a point? Can it be satisfied by chasing after things, by saying yes to this and no to that. I mean, it sounds, it feels very convincing. Obviously, it seems very convincing. And I know it very well because I've been with it for many years. Right? I speak that language. Of course, I know it very well. And one of the things about spiritual practice, any spiritual practice, is to actually begin again and again, clear slate, open, wide, clear slate, new page. Which also means looking at my reactivities and then tr working on doing things differently. Not giving a voice to the reactivity, what happens. I feel as if I'm not heard, right? I feel as if I am going against who I am, as if I'm belittled. I feel not important. It's one, one of the things I love about Sashins, for example, is that we can just be, absolutely just be. We don't have to worry about appeasing anything or anybody. We don't have to worry about how do I look in the eyes of others. It is such a relief to look at the schedule, for example, and to just follow it. It's a relief. It's not a hindrance. But yet, to many, it is. And I'm saying it because I hear it in Dokusa. And then at different times. People should do their own warm-up in the morning. It's one of the things I hear. Why is this structured? The teshu is too late. Who can focus at that time? After so many hours of sitting and being exhausted. The meal is whatever. 
actually it never ends. It really never ends. And, and I'm sure that I only hear a small fraction of it because there's a lot of it that's going on in our heads. And again, it's fine by itself. As long as we realize, it's fine. I can still do it. Whether I like it or not, I can still do it. Well, how freeing is that? Whether the I likes it or not, I can still do it. Whether the I approves of it or not, There is freedom to just move through one activity after another without worrying about, I like it or I don't like it. Without worrying about appeasing this in me. What Kabir called it, the, the, the wanting creature inside me. The wanting creature inside me. Never, ever satisfied. Always wants. Demands. Not just want, demands. Very loud. So that's why sishins for some are, can be torture and for some bliss. But in reality, actually, it's always bliss. If we put our likes and dislikes aside, it is always bliss. Not, not just a sheen, but yeah. And also, can we experience, can we ex expect to experience change or changes, transmutation, without increasing the heat? without raising the, the level of intensity, can we transmute metal into gold? Can we purify anything without facing challenges, without learning how to face challenges? One of the things I love about this practice, it, it will challenge us in different ways at different times. But it will always challenge us if we stay open, if we keep going. How do we meet the challenge? That's the greatest question. You know, Zen practice is not aimed to make us happy by meeting all our wants and desires. Actually, it sweeps away all of it and leaves us with nothing to cling to. So we can recognize that a sense of inner contentment is not dependent on fulfilling all our wants and desires. It's not dependent on anything. Because it's not about a thing. Always available, always there. In this koan, we meet uh, Yunmen again, which you've heard about before. Ninth, 10th century China, incredible teacher. In your face, by the way. So in this Quran, he says, for the assembly, the ancient Buddhas are merged with the open pillars. What level of activity is this? And what he's talking about is, is merging of our conventional everyday life and the timeless, birthless continuum. That sounds a little out there, but he's really talking about seeing reality as it is. And he's talking about putting aside for a little while everything we want and don't want, all our likes and dislikes. Just put it aside for a while so you can recognize innate merging innate harmony or harmonizing 
birth right, harmonizing. The one that's not in question. The one that we cannot arrive at. The one we can only recognize as, but not arrive at. So he's saying that, but what he's not saying, what he doesn't mention, is the long and challenging process of withering that we have to remain committed to. So periods of feeling encouraged, periods of feeling discouraged. And there are only three, really, there are only three requirements to, for this practice. Right? We keep, to keep raising the great doubt, the great trust, and the great determination. That's all. Maybe we should simplify it. It's all we have to do. Maintain doubt, trust, determination. Don't reject the questions when they arise. Keep questioning. Keep trusting. And keep going. In the story of Yunmen's realization, he's a young monk, he, he delved deeply into the Vinaya school, the Vinaya branch of Buddhism, and then he spent a lot of time trying to understand or clarify his life, but all this learning, it says, did not satisfy his deep spiritual quest. When he decided to go see Zen master Muju, a disciple of Huang Po, Obaku, the teacher of Rinzai. And says that when Muju heard Yunmen coming, he closed the door on his room, to his room. Yunmen knocked on the door. Muju said, "Who is it?" Yunmen said, "It's me, Yunmen." Muju said, well, "What do you want?" Yunmen said, "I'm not clear about my life. I'd like the master to give me some instruction." Muju then opened the door and, taking a look at Yunmen, closed it again. This happens a few days in a row. So I'll take a seat. You get to experience that over and over again. How would you react to that? Would you come back? Would you say, the hell with it, I'll go somewhere. The hell with him. I'm rejected. So it happened a few times. And then, Yunmen realized what's going on here. So he opened the door. So, so Muju opened the door, and he grabbed Yunmen by the collar and said, speak, speak. Yunmen began to say something. Muju gave him a shove and said, too late. And then he was just about to slam the door as he did before, but Yunmen knew that, so he put his foot there. And Muju broke it with the door. Slammed it so hard, he broke it. At this moment, at this second, Yunmen had great realization. As he was screaming in pain, realized. So, was he rejected? Or was he given a gift? How do we see that? How does the mind hears this? I'm not clear about my life. I would like the master to give me instruction. And what he got is a broken foot. And somehow that created that clarity. What happens if a brick flies through the window here right now? You come right back, don't you? If a bomb explodes outside, Can you go somewhere else? Can you be somewhere else at that second? 
The human story of realization actually is a great example of embodying great trust, great doubt, and great determination. And also, you know, the fact that his determination wasn't wavered by Muju's refusal to see him. This by itself is incredible. Because it's not how most would react. Because if I'm rejected, if I feel rejected, of course there is a sense of pride that wants to say, well, what's going on here? Am I not good enough? Why don't you want to see me? Somehow, it kept coming back. And the point is that it wasn't he wasn't taking his own reactivity so seriously or seriously enough to prevent him or to preclude him from coming back and trying again. Somehow he knew that he has to keep at it in order to break free of something. And he obeyed it. He also realized the urgency if I go somewhere else, I take more time. If I take more time, what happens? What happens with me? What happens in the world? More time to cause harm. Commentary says, the unique dynamic of transcendence, a crane soars into the sky the unique road of direct confrontation with reality. And that moment, that moment of pain for him was a unique moment of direct confrontation with reality. There was no choice. And also the direct confrontation with reality happens moment by moment. There it is. Right there. Confront this fully. Right? What is the way? Ordinary mind is the way, as Nansen told Joshua. Is there another way? You know, if we think Zen path is for some and not for others, then we don't understand what Zen is. Because Zen is not about what we think Zen is about. When we start practicing, we don't start anything. When we start practicing, we don't stop anything. That's the, the amazing beauty of, of this practice, that it's not about a practice. It is about direct confrontation with reality. But what is the choice? to not confront it, to create alternative realities, and crawl into that cocoon for a while, to keep appeasing that in me that creates alternative realities. We can do that. Actually, we do that. At some point of Yunman's life, later on, he was nominated to become an abbot of a monastery uh, by the prince. And that prince came to see him and asked, your humble disciple begs you for instruction. Yunman said, before your eyes lies no other road. What can I do for you? What can I give you? And he learned that, right? He learned that by knocking at Muju's door and looking for something else realizing there is nothing else because it's always in front of our eyes. And John C.H. Wu writes, to Yun Men, there is only one road, not many roads, but what is the one road he had in mind? And then he says, 
in the answer to this crucial question lies the touchstone of all his teachings. Actually, Zen is right there. The one road. Are we saying that we are better than others? Are we saying that this path is superior to other paths? That's how we think it. That's how we read it. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying there is no other. It's saying that this is the truth, not a lie, as we chant. And of course, when we hear that, we think, well, you, you probably mean that the practice is, this is the true practice, as opposed to other practices that are false. Who is listening? The one who says yes and no. The one who says, I like this, I don't like that. That's the one who says, you guys must be thinking you're better than us. Or we, might, maybe we think we are better than others. Again, we have to learn how to listen, how to read, how to be. The verse it says, one path of spiritual light one path has never been concealed from the first. When Muju broke his leg, he didn't reveal anything that was not there to begin with. He just stopped his mind from trying to create something else. And that's all, that was all that was needed at that moment. Just stop creating and following. For one moment, there it is. Never been concealed from the first. Transcending perception and objects, it is affirmed without affirmation. It transcends. It goes beyond, it says, going beyond common sense thought. It is adequate without adequacy. Because it's not about our approval or disapproval. How could it be about that? How could that which is transcendental, which is essential, which is always there, which is continuum, be dependent on my opinion or my feelings? how arrogant it is to actually think this way, right? There's a Zen saying, goes like this, within the gate of Buddha affair, not a single thing is thrown away. Because how could it be thrown away if it's one path, one single moment in which everything is included? I throw it away, but to where do I throw it away? I pick it up. From where do I pick it up? The scattered flowers on the cliff in the beehives become honey. The richness of the wild grasses in the musk deer, they make perfume. When there are flowers on the cliff, hard to see. But they're there. They're there, and the bees make sweet honey from them. Those who are able to see, see them. And not just see them, but transmute, transform their lives. The flowers are always there. Got to do some climbing. Got to do some confronting our challenges. We have to stay determined, no matter what. And we recognize the flowers and how to make honey from those flowers. It's beautiful poetry. But it's beautiful not because of the poetry. It's beautiful because it is pointing at inherent beauty. And the richness of ordinary things produces extraordinary things. 
according with kind, three feet or ten and six. It says, clearly, whatever you touch is brilliantly magnificent. And the footnote says, when it is thrust in your face, there is no place to hide. All of us are included, right? Nobody and nothing is excluded. No matter how we look, how we sound, how we appear, whatever you touch is brilliantly magnificent. Deluded and enlightened alike. Your monk asks Yunmen, how should I act, how should one act during every hour of the day in such a way that the ancestors are not betrayed? And Yunmen said, give up your effort. Stop trying. And the monk said, well, how should I give up my effort? Newman said, give up the words you just uttered. How could I? Already too late. Reminds me of somebody years ago asked me, he was with us, no longer with us, how can I really fully sweep the floor when I sweep the floor, the mat? What do you want? Just sweep the mat. What else is there? How could I stop asking? Look, sweep, clean. It's so simple. It's so simple, but yet we get so caught up. And you know what, what we believe to be alleviating the dissatisfaction is actually increasing it. By searching elsewhere, we increase the suffering that we experience. We increase the dissatisfaction because we keep rejecting the exact same thing we are looking for. Because it doesn't match something in me, but it is matching before me, before I even was born. And it will match way after I die. But I have my thoughts and ideas and opinions, likes and dislikes. And it doesn't match that. Well, the question is, does it have to? What if I realize that life doesn't have to match me, I have to match it? Meaning I have to give in rather than expect life to appease me. What happens then? The old Buddha and the pillars match, harmonize, are recognized as one. Not created as one, only recognized as one. You know, when we look to satisfy the hungry ghost, of course, we create more unhappiness, more dissatisfaction. And instead of giving in to our desires and getting trapped in continuous cycle of samsara, we have to go to the source and examine the root of desire and the root of happiness. To go to the source. And we chant in the four immeasurables, right? May all sentient beings enjoy happiness and the root of happiness. The root of happiness. May they be free from suffering and the root of suffering. But it's not them, it's us. How do I work with that? How do we meet our challenges? There's a, I'll finish with that. There's a great poem by Rumi. It says, it's called The Guest House. It says, this being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain all of them. Even if there are a crowd of sorrows, who violently sweep your house, 
emptied of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them all at the door, laughing and inviting them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. the three hidden jewels of our practice, greed, anger, and ignorance. That's what he says. Each of them has been sent as a guide from beyond. And Newman said, he answered his own question, right? What kind of activity is this when the Buddhas, the old ancient Buddhas emerged with the open pillars? He said, on South Mountain, raising clouds, on North Mountain, falling rain. And the footnote to that says, Old Man Chung drinks wine, Old Man Lee gets drunk. That's merged, right? I mean, Yunman is using poetic words to say that nothing happens over there. To say that the suffering over there is your own. And your own suffering is the suffering over there. And your joy is the joy over there. Because you remember Indra's net, right? The net of creation. Everything reverberates throughout the entire net. Because oneness is not a cliche, it's real. We want to believe it's a cliche. We want to create something out of it. We want to create our own cocoon, four doors, four, four walls and a door, windows, shut it, close it, hide inside, switch it off. But we can't. We can't go anywhere else. We can't quit because there's nowhere else to be and there is nothing else to do other than this. So practice this way. Practice by recognizing that there is no other way. 